Welcome to Across the Street, your one-stop shop for all things inpatient medicine at the Durham VA, from faculty and staff who know it and love it just as much as you do. Good morning. Uh, my name is Ryan Owenby, and I am the one and only uh, clinical pharmacy specialist uh, in emergency medicine at the Durham VA Medical Center. And today I've been asked uh, to discuss the initial management of non-cancer-related acute VTE with a focus on anticoagulation. And for the purposes of this talk, we're going to focus primarily on the direct oral acting anticoagulants or DOACs um, and the options that are available at the Durham VA. So to get started, we're going to go through a case. Today we have Mr. J.M., who is an 81-year-old white male. Uh, He has a history of hypertension, hyperlipidemia, type 2 diabetes, GERD. He has bilateral knee osteoarthritis and some mild chronic kidney disease with a baseline serum creatinine of 1.3 to 1.6. And he is presented to the ED for evaluation of a left lower extremity pain and swelling following a senior citizen's bus tour to Washington, D.C. So to make this uh, long story shorter, he had a DVT ultrasound ordered, which did confirm a left lower extremity occlusive popliteal vein thrombus. So in the emergency department, he was given a single treatment dose of anoxaparin, 90 milligrams, which for him would be one milligram per kilogram, and he was admitted to the hospital for further management. So some of the goals for this talk, and let me start with some of the things that we're not going to cover. So this is by no means a deep dive into um, all of the literature surrounding DOAC therapy, um, all the nuances between the agents, or uh, we're not going to get into any of the complications or um, reversal agents and things of that nature. But what we do want to do is review, um, like I said, the DOACs that are available at the Durham VA. We're going to quickly go over some patient-specific factors that we use to determine the most appropriate agent. We'll briefly touch on the dosing regimens along with some of the renal adjustments, and then we're going to quickly talk about how to coordinate appropriate follow-up once the patient is discharged from the hospital, which is done through our anticoagulation clinic consult process. So, to begin, the four currently available DOACs that are FDA-approved for the treatment uh, of VTE include dabigatran, rivaroxaban, apixaban, and adoxaban. And again, Uh, The sort of more traditional option, your heparin or Lovenox bridge to warfarin, is also a treatment option. But again, with the growing evidence um, that's out there and with the fact that the DOACs are now considered first-line therapy, um, we're going to focus just on those agents. All four of these agents are available at the Durham VA, but again, they are ordered in conjunction with an anticoagulant drug therapy consult. So one of the first questions that often comes up is which agent is best for my patient? Um, And again, uh, there is no single DOAC that's going to fit all patients. And like a lot of clinical cases, it's going to come down to certain patient-specific factors um, that will determine which agent may be best for your patient. So before we get into some of those factors, I do want to give you just some general information regarding the clinical evidence uh, for DOACs as a class. 
So one thing to remember is that there are no head-to-head trials that compare the individual DOACs, okay? So all of the agents were FDA-approved based on trials that compared the DOAC to a Lovenox bridge to warfarin, okay? So not comparing to bigotran to rivaroxaban or rivaroxaban to apixaban. Those trials are not out there. All the information and all the clinical information that we can gather in the setting of VTE are trials compared to warfarin and anoxaparin. So from an efficacy standpoint, so how good did the DOACs work? What were the rates of recurrent VTE in these landmark trials? And what every um, trial found when compared to Lovenox and warfarin, uh, the DOACs were determined to be non-inferior. So they worked just as good as Lovenox and warfarin in all of the trials for all of the agents. The other thing that we want to consider is the safety endpoints. Now, for all these trials, safety was defined as all major and non-major clinically relevant bleeding. For apixaban, dabigatran, and adoxaban, they all showed uh, superior safety profiles when compared to Lovenox and warfarin. Rivaroxaban was similar in regards to safety. So what this tells us is that all of these agents are just as good as warfarin and Lovenox for VTE, and uh, a majority of them are in fact safer from a bleeding standpoint, or at least no worse uh, than warfarin and anoxaparin when it comes to rivaroxaban. So next, uh, let's, let's review some of the patient-specific factors that, that you need to consider when you're selecting a DOAC um, to treat a patient who has an acute VTE. The first thing uh, that we often look at is age, okay? So the mean age in all of the pivotal VTE trials was around 50 years old, while the proportion of patients who are over 75 years only accounted for about 10 to 15% of the patient population. So now there are some subgroup analysis that suggested that both the efficacy and the safety were still maintained in the elderly population or the greater than 75 population. Um, But again, this is based on very low numbers. Um, Sometimes we look to some of the AFib trials that included the DOACs and we look at how the older patients did in those trials and we extrapolate it to some of the VTE trials. Again, there are some subgroup analysis specifically for dabigatran that showed in the elderly patients who were over 75, they actually had a higher rate of bleeding. So although there's nothing concrete, we do sort of assume that the older you are, um, then the less evidence there is regarding the safety and efficacy. But we assume that it's maintained um, But again, we have to think about that. And we know that age, just in and of itself, is a risk factor um, for bleeding. Next, we look at the patient's weight. So there's very limited data available on the use of DOACs in the extremes of body weight. And for our purposes, we consider that to be primarily the folks who are greater than 120 kilograms or they have a BMI greater than 35. Um, Again, Uh, There is some PK and PD data that shows that there is some modest effect of body weight extremes on DOAC exposure, but we don't know the clinical relevance of that. 
again, they're subgroup analyses of obese patients in some of these trials. And again, they, the DOACs appear to be generally safe and effective. However, again, very limited data. Uh, the stance that the VA takes is that if you're going to be using a DOAC in these patient populations, um, then you need to share this information with the patients. They need to understand the risk involved, and they need to understand that the data on efficacy and safety are not um, as clear-cut as they would be for the patients who fit nicely into the study populations. The next thing uh, that we think about is, is our patient at an increased risk for bleeding? Again, we look at things like age, and we look at uh, their other medications. Are they on a chronic NSAID for another indication? Do they have an alcohol um, or a drinking history? Or do they have a history um, of prior bleeding? In particular, we really look at their GI bleeding history. If, in fact, they do have a history of GI bleed, uh, then the preferred agent is usually a pixaban, and that's because, again, it was one of the agents that had a superior safety profile when compared to anoxaparin um, and warfarin. And, uh, as we'll talk about in just a minute, it is the agent that is least reliant on renal clearance. And, again, if we're looking at age and things, and as people get older and their renal function declines, then you want an agent that maybe is not so reliant on renal function. So, again, that's the next uh, thing that we look at is their renal impairment or what their renal function is like. All the DOACs undergo some level of renal elimination, and in general, they're typically avoided if a patient's creatinine clearance is less than or equal to 30 mils per minute. Now, they all are renally eliminated to a different degree, and if I had to put them in a list of most reliant on renal function to least, it would go um, in the order of dabigatran, adoxaban, rivaroxaban, and apixaban. Now, the final thing uh, to consider is compliance and maybe some storage issues. So compliance is key with DOACs. Unlike warfarin, it doesn't build up in your system. Um, they work immediately. With the first dose, they begin to work. Uh, the downside to that is that if you miss a single dose or two doses, then the patient is right back at baseline risk because they are cleared from the body very efficiently. Another thing to consider is that some of these um, medications require twice daily dosing. Um, is your patient on other twice daily meds so this could be easily incorporated or do they struggle with anything that's more than once a day? And finally with storage, does your patient use a pillbox? If so, then this becomes important with dabigatran because dabigatran must be stored in its original bottle. It cannot be opened and the capsules then placed into a pillbox. It will lose some of its potency and will not be good for the duration of the therapy. So now we're going to go over some of the dosing guidelines. And what's key to remember here is that the DOACs are dosed differently when you're treating VTE versus how they're dosed when you're treating a patient with AFib. So one of the first key points is that both dabigatran and adoxaban require at least 5 to 10 days of an injectable anticoagulant prior to starting oral therapy. In other words, they require 5 to 10 days of Lovenox before you'd start oral therapy. Now this seems to defeat the purpose of putting someone on a DOAC to begin with, right? Oftentimes the reasons we like these agents is because they don't require um, the injections up front. 
But uh, for some reason in the trials, this is how they um, conducted their study, and therefore the FDA, upon approval, required that this 5- to 10-day period of injectable um, therapy be completed before they go to oral therapy. At that point, dabigatran is given as 150 milligrams twice a day in the setting of normal renal function. Now, that is similar um, to the AFib dosing. Adoxaban is dosed as 60 milligrams once a day after the 5 to 10 day injection phase. Now, for the other two agents, rivaroxaban and apixaban, both have a quote-unquote loading dose period where you give a higher dose for a certain time frame followed by a maintenance regimen. For rivaroxaban, that is 15 milligrams twice a day for 21 days followed by 20 milligrams daily. For apixaban, it's 10 milligrams twice a day for seven days and then five milligrams twice a day. So rivaroxaban will eventually become a once-daily med, which may be preferred. Apixaban will remain a twice-daily med throughout the course of therapy. Now, as far as coordinating care upon discharge and someone who you start on a DOAC, um, this is achieved through the anticoagulant drug therapy consult and CPRS. It can be found under the consults tabs. The key to remember is when placing this consult, you do need to have some baseline laboratory data, which includes a CHEM-7 to evaluate renal function, a CBC to make sure they have a stable hemoglobin and hematocrit and platelet count, an initial PTINR because we know that one of the effects of DOAX is a pseudo-elevation in an INR. So if they're on therapy, you will see their INR elevate, but it's a known um, response to DOAC therapy. It does not equate to any level of anticoagulation. And you need a GI panel because folks who have active um, liver disease, you have to avoid DOACs in folks who have moderate to severe disease. So uh, to conclude, we're going to jump back to our case. So JM is ready for discharge. Um, all of his baseline labs um, are within normal limits, and on the day of discharge, he has a serum creatinine of 1.5, which gives us a creatinine clearance for him of around 35 mils per minute. So close to the cutoff, but still seems to be with, within uh, acceptable limits. His most recent weight was around 90.2 kilograms, so he, we're not dealing with a patient in one of those extreme weight categories. We also notice as we review his maintenance medication list that he takes several twice daily meds for his hypertension and type 2 diabetes, so he may be okay with adding another twice daily med. Uh, and then another interesting factor is that while he was in the hospital, upon receiving his, dose, his first dose of Lovenox, he was adamant that he was not going home with injections. He was not going to be sticking himself. Um, he did not like needles, and therefore he was not going to do that when he went home. So take a minute uh, and sort of think through which agent you may think uh, would be most appropriate for him to go home with. So if I were reviewing this case um, as someone looking at the consult for an agent, this patient seems to be uh, someone who would probably best fit into treatment with apixaban. Given his age, he's 81, we know that apixaban has a favorable safety profile from a bleeding risk standpoint. And considering his renal function, although he's not at the cutoff, there is some impairment. 
and apixaban relies the least on renal elimination compared to the other DOACs, he would have no problem, it appears, with a twice-daily med. Um, it seems as though apixaban would probably be the most appropriate agent for this patient. I will say that rivaroxaban and apixaban are both sort of the workhorses for this indication at the VA, uh, with the slight edge perhaps given to apixaban in most patients. I hope this has been a helpful review and it will help you as you uh, begin to treat some of these patients. Um, thank you for listening. And as always, the views and opinions stated during this podcast are my own, and they don't necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Department of Veterans Affairs or the Durham VA Hospital. Thanks so much. Thank you.